Hello everyone, welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Saturday, the 26th of February, 2011. Got a bunch of stuff I want to talk to you guys about today. A couple of them are going to be some scandals. A couple of things are going to be about uh, local politics, that type of thing. And uh, we'll also talk about how some people, if you live in a, in a state that has pretty good gun laws, um, or where your rights are recognized, I guess I should say, rather than having good gun laws, uh, that people feel that you're lucky. So before we jump into all that stuff, let's go ahead and get some of our contact info out of the way. If you would like to participate in the show, have something read out on the show, uh, or you'd like to have your hear your voice on the show, you can do that a couple of different ways. You can contact uh, the voicemail, which would be the easiest way, and that's at area code 206-339-3266. Again, that's area code 206-339-3266. Or if you've got recording equipment, you can record an MP3 and email that to me, or if you just want to do an email and I can read it for you on the show. You can send that to me at firearmscafe at gmail.com. Again, that's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. Okay, now here comes the part where I'm going to beg you a little bit. If you could, if you haven't left a review for me over on iTunes, if you could go ahead and do that. Uh, Every little bit we get helps out the show. It gets us a little bit more recognition. Uh, Also... Over on uh, the website, both for Firearms Cafe and for my other show, The Armed Ape, uh, if you go on and visit the website and scroll down a little bit, there's some ads. If they interest you, go ahead and click on them. Uh, And I get some money, not a lot, but um, if I can get enough of you guys that click on them regularly, it can help kind of defer some of the cost of the show, defer the cost of of the website and of, of hosting and all that jazz. So... Uh, and I'm not trying to sell you anything per se. They're just ads. So again, if you go over there and click on them and check them out, um, I'd appreciate that. All right, let's go ahead and start talking about a couple of uh, scandals. And you know, we always talk about before we jump into that. And this this is going to be part of it anyway. But we talk a lot of times about how the media is very biased, and the media, especially mainstream media has very specific agendas and they have a very um, uh, specific political outlook and philosophy Uh, where if you're a news agency what you're supposed to do or if you're the media what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to say this is the story this is what happened and, and if there's different sides or if it's a political story, here's what side A says, here's what side B says, here's what side C says. And that's what you're supposed to do. But what we find often is uh, we find that they, the, 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 the media has a definite leaning. For the most part, it leans to the left, although there are a lot of conservative talk shows out there that, of course, lean way to the right. And the problem with that is, is of course, is that they're not very critical of things that they need to be. And this is on both sides. And just because you you dislike MSNBC, let's say, or CNN, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that everything you hear on Fox is correct, or that everything, or that Fox does not 
uh, have an agenda. They, they do have an agenda. And so what I want to play for you guys right now is uh, a little sound clip from uh, CNN. And the clip is around about, I think, oh, about uh, three and a half, four minutes long. So go ahead and give it a listen. This just in, Fox News Channel has just been caught in a blatant attempt to distort the perception of the 2011 CPAC straw poll results. On the February 15th broadcast of America's Newsroom, Fox reported the results of the win. When they opened the report, they played the recording of the 2010 results rather than the actual 2011 recording. A clear difference is seen in the crowd reaction and in the attire worn by Tony Fabrizio, who read the results to the audience. The crowd reaction was remarkably different, even though Ron Paul won in both cases. In the 2010 recording, you can hear more booing and groaning from the audience. Winner of this year's CPAC Straw Poll is now. Okay. Well, the winner of this year's CPAC Straw Poll is Texas Congressman Ron Paul. Now in the 2011 recording, you can hear a truly excited crowd. Winner of the straw poll this year, Congressman This is a clear attempt to persuade America that Ron Paul is not accepted by the majority, even though he truly is. Fox is no stranger to minimalizing Ron Paul's wins. During the 2008 presidential election, Fox ignored their own polling data from text message polling and online polls where Ron Paul was the clear winner. This, however, is the first time that they have been caught swapping footage in an attempt to sway public opinion of a presidential contender. This is the first shot of the 2012 election season that has been fired by the spin masters at Fox News against Ron Paul. And it is time for you to act now and demand a full retraction, explanation, and apology for the false reporting. Call Fox News right now by phone at 212-301-3000, or you can send them a fax at 212-301-4229, or you can email them right now at comments at foxnews.com. Judge Napolitano, one of the only true advocates for freedom and liberty at the Fox News Channel, needs to be contacted too. Contact Judge Napolitano and demand that he expose the Fox network. How the judge reacts to this will be a true test of his allegiance to Ron Paul. Contact the judge via email at freedomwatch at foxbusiness.com or on his Facebook page at facebook.com slash judge Napolitano or on his Twitter page, twitter.com slash judge Knapp. Do not delay. Take action now and share this video. For The Reality Report, I'm Gary Franchi. Well, I think that clearly illustrates that uh, Fox has a bias as well as, you know, CNN and MSNBC. And uh, I guess the more pressing question would be, well, why did they do that? Why in the world would you do that? Uh, whether you believe what the commentator I just played said or not, 
it boggles the mind of, of why they would do something like that. Now, obviously, the the guy at CNN, they're not going to waste any time um, kind of calling uh, calling attention to the fact, I guess, you know, that Fox did that. Uh, but again, don't a, a lot. I know a lot of people that listen to this show, and a lot of people that have uh, some similar views, uh, especially on gun rights. Probably not some of some of the other political views that I would have, but especially on gun rights, uh, a lot of people go to Fox, and I watch programs on Fox. Um, really, about the only two that I watch, I watch uh, one that uh, the anchor had mentioned, which was Freedom Watch with Judge Napolitano. I also like uh, Stossel, and that's John Stossel's, uh, excuse me, John Stossel's show. And I think the judge, I think Freedom Watch is on either four or five nights a week uh, with original content and programming, and I think Stossel comes on about once a week. I think he comes on on a Thursday, but I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, I like both those shows. Uh, but again, the question is, well, why would they do that? What would they stand to gain from that, and more importantly, they would have to know that somebody out there is going to catch that. Uh, you know, people that were there would say, "No, it wasn't like that." Uh, but the big thing is, is the guy who was the uh, the MC or the or the host uh, at the conference wasn't wearing the same clothing, so obviously it's it's not if you were there or if you had seen other footage from there you would say well wait a minute why he didn't do a costume change you know in the middle of of the of the conference so uh anyway it's very interesting now speaking of kind of other uh, scandals and i haven't seen this reported too much in the mainstream media and probably because it's going to make the current administration look bad uh, ultimately, the, I think that probably some of the responsibility would go back to the Attorney General's office. And, and I first heard about this thing on uh, Tom Gresham's show, Gun Talk. And he was talking a couple weeks ago about that there was going to be a big news about the ATF, uh, which is Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives. And, uh, you know, I've said on this show, and, and other people have been saying for years, that the... Uh, the ATF is a rogue agency, and that uh, there are elements in there where they're pretty much their own little fiefdom. Uh, they do pretty much whatever they want, uh, especially if you look at some of the prosecutions that they've done on people. There's no standards. There's no uh, written protocols for how they're going to do stuff. And basically what that agency does is they say, if we want to come get you, we're going to do it and we don't have we don't have since we don't really have any set rules we can do pretty much whatever we want uh, you know there was a while back that uh, they they were given i think it was was it a knife or a multi-tool some of the agents were and what was the phrase that was on there something like think forfeiture or seizure or something like that anyway it was basically telling them you know really go out there and be aggressive and, and screw people over. Uh, this is kind of a little bit of an aside, and he's been he's, he's passed away uh, not too long ago. Uh, but some of you guys are going to be familiar with um, JPFO, which is Jews for the Pre Preservation of Firearms Ownership. Their uh, founder, Aaron Zellman, uh, 
recently passed away. Uh, but he was a big guy on uh, calling out the abuses and a lot of the inconsistencies of the ATF. Uh, that was kind of one of their things that they tended to focus on quite a bit. And a real staunch supporter of of uh, liberty and freedom and of uh, our Second Amendment rights and the rights of uh, not only people here in America, but uh, but around the world. You know, the right to be able to defend yourself and your family. But uh, anyway, if, if you want to see some good stuff, there's a lot of good materials over there at uh, JPFO. You can just type in Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership. I've got, I think I've got a link to it on the site, on my site at Firearms Cafe. So you can, link, you can go right to it there from my site if you want. Um, but anyway, there's been a lot of stuff in the news lately about how all these Arizona gun shops and some gun shops in Texas and stuff had... All these guns had had gone across the border. That these people were coming up and buying guns and taking them down there. Well, it, and it, it what it, it appears to to be happening, what appears to be playing out, is that the ATF was doing a um, some type of a sting or some type of a uh, I don't even know what you would call it. What they were doing. What it looks like it boils down to, and again, I don't have all the facts, and, and uh, like I said, there's not too much out there right now that I can find um, for what has happened and for all the hype and attention that um, guns were coming from America and going down into Mexico and fueling all this stuff. You would think that the story that I'm going to talk about would have raised a lot of eyebrows and would have they would have made a lot more would have been made more aware to the public, uh, but it just seems like they're just kind of keeping quiet. But anyway, there were a lot of there was like two or three gun stores in Arizona that were kind of getting spotlighted as that saying that all these guns went down from there and people were coming in and doing all these straw purchases. And didn't it raise any red flags when uh, you know the same person would come in and buy several guns? And it turns out that the ATF was working with some of these gun stores, and they were saying, "Okay, well, this guy's going to come and he's going to buy this stuff. Let him do it," um, because they were wanting, I guess, maybe to try and track the uh, any type of distribution route or anything down there. And the reality of it is, even with those things, it's not that that. Thousands and thousands of guns were going down there, um, and it wasn't that hundreds of people were doing it. It was still a small amount of people that were doing it. And you have to realize, too, that a lot of this stuff was the, the, the gun store owners had reported this stuff to the ATF, and the ATF was saying, well, just go ahead and we'll let them do it. Well, it turns out that the ATF was basically saying, look, these guns are going to go down, but we're going to track and we're going to know where they are and, and they're not going to get into the wrong hands type deal. Well, what it appears is that I guess approximately, I think about 2,500 plus guns were allowed to go down uh, under that. And there was a lot of opposition from agents in the ATF. And that's where some of this stuff came from, was basically from whistleblowers inside the agency. So you know, we bash the agency a lot, and I think it needs a lot of reform, and I think it needs to be reined in quite a bit. But there are still people there that are good people and good agents. 
but as a whole, that agency, it really needs to be um, just turned upside down and shaken out and reorganized. Uh, and there's got to be a lot more checks and balances because right now there's really not a whole lot uh, that's going on. And that's never a good thing uh, for any type of uh, government agency or law enforcement agency. There's got to be checks and balances. So what I'm going to do is um, there was a deal on CBS News, and then I'll also put a link in my sh in in the on the in the show notes uh, for this episode. Um, for there's a a blog called The Truth About Guns, and some of you guys have heard uh, have heard of that before, but it's a real good blog. Um, I think Eric quotes him a lot, quotes that blog a lot. So uh, Eric over at the Handgun Podcast. So. But anyway, I'll put a link into uh, the Truth About Guns blog site into the show notes, and you can go over and read just some of the... And just if you go over to his site and just type in ATF, you can see there's a bunch of articles that they've done at the, uh, the Truth About Guns blog. So anyway, let me go ahead and uh, let's play that CBS thing. December 14, 2010. The place, a dangerous smuggling route in Arizona, not far from the border. A special tactical border squad was on patrol when gunfire broke out and Agent Brian Terry, shown here in a training exercise, was killed. Kent is Brian's brother. He was my only brother. That was the only brother I had, and uh, I'm lost. The assault rifles found at the murder, similar to these, were traced back to a U.S. gun shop. Where they came from and how they got there is a scandal so large, some insiders say it surpasses the shootout at Ruby Ridge and the deadly siege at Waco. To understand why, it helps to know something about Project Gunrunner, run by ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Project Gunrunner deployed new teams of agents to the southwest border. The idea, to stop the flow of weapons from the U.S. to Mexico's drug cartels. But in practice, sources tell CBS News, ATF's actions had the opposite result. They allegedly facilitated the delivery of thousands of guns into criminal hands. We wanted to ask ATF officials about the case, but they wouldn't agree to an interview. We were able to speak to six veteran ATF agents and executives involved. They don't want to be quoted by name for fear of retaliation. These are their allegations. In late 2009, ATF was alerted to suspicious buys at seven gun shops in the Phoenix area. Suspicious because the buyers paid cash, sometimes brought in paper bags and they purchased classic weapons of choice used by Mexican drug traffickers, semi-automatic versions of military-type rifles and pistols. Sources tell CBS News several gun shops wanted to stop the questionable sales, but ATF encouraged them to continue. Jaime Avila was one of the suspicious buyers. ATF put him in its suspect database in January 2010. For the next year, ATF watched as Avila and other suspects bought huge quantities of weapons, supposedly for personal use. They included 575 AK-47 type semi-automatic rifles. ATF managers allegedly made a controversial decision, allow most of the weapons on the streets. The idea was to get intelligence and see where they ended up. Insiders say it's a dangerous tactic called letting the guns walk. One agent called the strategy insane. Another said, we were fully aware the guns would probably be moved across the border to drug cartels where they could be used to kill. On the phone, one Project Gunrunner source who didn't want to be identified told us just how many guns flooded the black market under ATF's watchful eye. 
Some of you guys may have had a little bit of trouble understanding what the agent was saying on the phone just because of the voice distortion uh, software that they were using. What the agent actually said was, the numbers were over 2,500 on that case, by the way. That's how many were sold, including some 50 calibers that they let walk. So go ahead. we'll go ahead and jump back into the news story. 50 caliber weapons are fearsome. For months, ATF agents followed 50 caliber Barrett rifles and other guns believed headed for the Mexican border, but were ordered to let them go. One distraught agent was often overheard on ATF radios, begging and pleading to be allowed to intercept transports. The answer, negative, stand down. CBS News has been told at least 11 ATF agents and senior managers voiced fierce opposition to the strategy. It got ugly, says one. There was screaming and yelling, says another. A third warned, this is crazy, somebody is going to get killed. Sure enough, the weapons soon began surfacing at crime scenes in Mexico. Dozens of them, sources say, including shootouts with government officials. One agent argued with a superior, asking, are you prepared to go to the funeral of a federal officer killed with one of these guns? Another says, every time there was a shooting near the border, we would all hold our breath, hoping it wasn't one of our guns. Then Border Patrol agent Brian Terry was murdered. These are the serial numbers on the two assault rifles found at the scene. They match two rifles ATF watched Jaime Avila buy in Phoenix nearly a year before. Officials won't answer whether the bullet that killed Terry came from one of those rifles, but the nightmare had come true. Walked guns turned up at a federal agent's murder. You feel like shit. You feel for the parents, one ATF veteran told us. Hours after Terry was gunned down, ATF finally arrested Avila. They've since indicted 34 suspected gun runners in the same group, but the indictment makes no mention of Terry's murder, and no one is charged in his death. He'd want him to tell the truth, and that's one thing my brother didn't like was a liar. And, uh, and uh, that's what he'd want. He'd want the truth. In a letter, the Justice Department says the ATF has never knowingly allowed the sale of assault weapons to suspected gun runners. Cheryl Atkinson, CBS News, Washington. Well, that's kind of uh, chilling, isn't it? And there's a lot of questions that need to be asked about that. Uh, one of them, of course, is why aren't we hearing more about this? Um, you could say, oh, well, CBS has an exclusive, but that's, you know, anytime, once the story breaks, CNN, Fox, MSNBC should all be out there pounding the pavement and trying to figure out what's going on and reporting this. Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe some of those agencies who have been reporting for so long that it's the fault of the, of the United States and it's the fault of, of the, basically the private citizens, uh, and the people that own the gun shops, uh, and it's, it's their fault that all those weapons went down there. And, uh, maybe one of the reasons that they're not saying too much is because they'd have a little bit of egg on their face. And having to say, oh yeah, all that stuff we said before, yeah, that was all crap. So uh, we were wrong, sorry. And uh, maybe that's one reason why they're not doing it. I, I don't know. Maybe they're protecting the current administration. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, there were a couple of things that were said in there, in, in the news report. They talked about, and you almost come to expect it. They did a couple of things 
right at first they talked about that the versions that were going down there were semi-automatics and they they were still calling them assault rifles but the definition of an assault rifle is that it, it's capable of full automatic fire so usually you'll have settings you'll have a uh, a semi-automatic setting uh, or maybe like a three-round burst and then a full auto um, but usually you'll have at least a semi-auto uh, where you each time you pull the trigger one bullet goes out the barrel and then you have fully automatic as long as you've got the the trigger depressed it keeps shooting until the magazine runs empty uh, let's see what else oh they did say they talked about the letter from the justice department that said that no assault weapons had knowingly been sold or given down to the to the drug cartel which in theory I guess you could say that that is a true statement because really there are there are no such things as assault weapons. Uh, remember that's a made up term. Uh, I don't know if somebody's that slick or if this is just a standard denial. I imagine it's just a standard denial. Uh, but don't be surprised with these guys when they're a lot of times, especially when they're doing any type of uh, letter or any type of uh, press release. They've scrutinized every word, every comma, every period, uh, and, and they know what they, they're doing. Uh, so, uh, or it could be that they view, you know, assault weapons like I view them, and like some of you view them, as fully automatic. And they're saying that, well, we didn't let any full autos go down there, basically, that was all semi-stuff. So, again, it's all going to depend on, on the Justice Department's version of this. Uh, on, on what they what they define as and what they mean by when they say something like an assault weapon. Now that's going to bring us up to uh, again something else that I wanted to talk about, which is the Patriot Act, and I want to. I know I'm kind of doing a lot of stuff that's kind of clip heavy and, and playing stuff like that but i'm going to play something from i believe it was it's uh from the dennis miller show and uh, it's it's an interview that he has with rand paul and they're talking a little bit about the patriot act so i'm going to play some of that and uh now he's he's made these same comments uh, on other shows and it's out there if you uh, there's lots of different uh, places where you can find this stuff uh, but i did want to play it because i think it ties into uh, what we're talking about here, and well, let's go ahead and now you know what I'll go ahead and talk about it first. <clears throat> One of the things that that Rand Paul says in his interview with Dennis Miller, and like I said, he said this in other stuff, other interviews as well, is that it used to be that the British soldiers in olden days could write their own warrants, uh, so that they didn't have to. They were they were their own authority. They did. They, there was nobody that was over them as far as them being able to write out a thing saying that we can come into your house and we can look. And if you've got certain goods, certain let's say a wine or tobacco or other goods, they need to have a tax stamp or you need to have this thing that shows that you paid the crown for these things and that they weren't kind of black market wares. And there was really no recourse for the people. And that's a lot of what the Patriot Act does. Uh, and I know there are going to be some of you guys out there that are ultra conservative, uh, that are kind of buying into the party line, and uh, anything goes as long as it comes from the Republicans or as long as it comes from a 
conservative side. Now, we do need to have some intelligence gathering, and we do need to be able to get information, but we don't sacrifice our personal freedoms. We don't trample on the Bill of Rights, and we don't throw away our Constitution in order to do that. And a lot of what the Patriot Act does is it it does those things. It stomps on the Constitution. It obliterates the Fourth Amendment. And if you don't know what that is, that's some good homework for you. Go, go, go read the Constitution, read the Bill of Rights, read the Fourth Amendment, and then find out what the Patriot Act actually enables people to do. And this is just one part of it. It allows federal agents to basically write their own, uh, their own warrants, and they don't have to go through a judge. So there's basically no checks and balances. So let me go ahead and drop in um, the interview uh, with uh, Senator Paul. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the Patriot Act. Now, listen, uh, Rand, I, you oppose the Patriot Act. I, I, I know the intricacies, some of the intricacies you oppose, but uh, I'm still for it because I like the overview. What's uh, Explain to me uh, what it's been extended now and when do you want to have hearings? Uh, give me your take on it. Well, the way I look at it is is that, you know, I think back to, you know, James Otis writing before the American Revolution about general warrants being signed by soldiers, and we didn't like that. In fact, John Adams said that was the spark that got the American Revolution going. And part of the Patriot Act allows FBI agents to sign national security letters that are not reviewed by judges and that people don't have a chance to protest in court against. And these are used against U.S. citizens, and not just on occasion, 200,000 times in the last 10 years. And so I, I really I want to catch terrorists, but I also think that the FISA court was doing a pretty good job before the Patriot Act. The FISA court rarely, if ever, was turning down warrants, so I'm not sure there really was a need for the Patriot Act. Yeah, but could you, uh, could you wake somebody up at 3 in the morning? And get a FISA, you know, green light. And you know yeah, what? Absolutely. And in fact, you know, we do that everywhere. What I tell people is we do it for the worst, most despicable people in our society those accused of rape, murder, pedophilia. The judge gets called at 2 in the morning and they get warrants every night for the police to go in. But we wanted that because even though these are bad people, we didn't want the policeman to make the decision on invading someone's house without a judge reviewing the case. Well, I have to tell you this, Rand, sometimes you got to take the bitter with the sweet, and if this has given us opportunities over the interim years to periodically tap into the yeah, 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 yeah squad when they call home on the friends and family plan, uh, we got to keep something in there for that, man. When I well, see, I think you're right. We have to do something about terrorism, and I'm all for that. I guess my point is is that it's a difficult thing to prove that this couldn't have been done by asking judges for warrants. The FISA court really had issued tens of thousands of warrants, and I think there was only evidence that they had one instance where they didn't give a warrant. And I guess what still bothers me about 9-11 is no one was fired over 9-11. We gave the head of the intelligence agency a medal for 9-11. Massawi, the lone attacker, the 20th hijacker, we never asked for a warrant. A lot of the people up here in Washington still justify the Patriot Act by saying we could have gotten Massawi and stopped 9-11. Well, we could have gotten Massawi if the FBI would have done their job and asked for a warrant. Instead, we gave all those people promotions, we gave them medals, and they did not do their job before 9-11 properly.
By the way, you reminded me, I had some of the best musical I've ever had on Robson Street in Vancouver. <laughs> but that's a separate issue. Now, um, Rand, can I take it over to spending for a sec, or you just sure. want to stay in the Patriot Act? Okay, I'm going to jump in here, and uh, I've edited out some of the interview. They start talking about some of the budget things. Uh, but on this next section that you're going to hear, they start talking about a group shopping thing, which kind of leads back into the discussion of the Patriot Act. So we'll go ahead and jump back in now. Um, you know, I saw an interesting article in Time magazine last week. It's the one that says the the year 2045 will be immortal. And it's about some social shopping um, and I'm blanking on the name, but I think Google has a variation. Groupon, it's called. And now I don't want to, I don't want to freak you out. We're talking Patriot Act grand, but this guy's goal is, you know, with your wishes, he says. But they always start that at the beginning, and then it seems like the information gets leaked. He takes a dossier on what you like and don't like, and then they use the global positioning devices. And on your smartphone, if you're walking around and there's a sale on something in a store, they buzz you and say, hey, you know, you're right outside the, you know, Seas Chocolates, and they're having a sale on strawberry creams, which you like. Why don't you go in and get some? And I was thinking it was kind of a cool idea. Then the more I thought on it last night, I thought that's going to get pretty creepy. Does that creep you out? Well, the thing is, is I always separate things into government and private. If a private industry does it and I want to sign up for it and I love that stuff, right. then it's fine. I have no problem okay. with it. I do worry about it. And one of the things about the Patriot Act is I think back to what Jefferson said. Jefferson said that if government was a bunch of angels, we would never have to worry about giving them power. The reason we worry about giving them power and the reason why I see things like I like most of the FBI agents I meet. I know a lot of mm -hmm. them. I know people in my town, my small town in Kentucky were FBI agents. They're yeah, good, good people. Guys, yeah. So I don't think they're bad people and they want to spy on us. But what I do worry about is what happens when we don't get an angel in office? In the 1920s, they voted in Hitler and he wasn't an angel. So I don't want a Hitler to be elected in a democracy and all of a sudden he has the power to snoop on all of our citizens. Even now, they're doing... Each year, or actually over 10 years, there were 2 million bank accounts looked into simply because you wire transfer money. I pay my visa bill, or my wife does, through wire transfers. My guess is I have had my bank account snooped on because I sometimes have a big visa bill. Mm -hmm. And I don't want American citizens to be snooped on unless we're uh, part of a, you know, a, a terrorist th threat, and most of us are not. All right, so with that, you know, we see... A lot of the reservations I have and, and had in the past about the Patriot Act uh, are some of the things that uh, Rand Paul and, and Ron Paul and others have spoken of is is that you you don't want to give up due process. Uh, the reason it's important to have a judge look at things is because the judge can determine whether or not that there's enough grounds there uh, for probable cause to uh, and I'm, I'm simplifying a lot of this stuff uh, but f for warrants the judge has to determine whether there's probable cause they also look at things um, when they're doing their kind of their their judicial review they're supposed to make sure that that rights aren't going to be violated that um, the evidence that's going to be gathered has has been gathered in a, in a uh, has been done so in a lawful manner um so, again, we don't ever want to give up due process, and we don't want to give the power 
uh, to government, and it's just government in general, it doesn't matter what party, uh, you don't want to give the government basically kind of carte blanche. You always want to have checks and balances. And when Bush pushed it through, um, you know, it was gone through, and we see that, you know, when usually when there's true bipartisanship in our government, that's not good for us. Uh, you know, we see when when kind of push comes to shove and, and it comes to the expansion of power of the government, that's when all of a sudden they kind of come together. Uh, there's very few politicians out there today that are really willing to stand up and, and to push back and say, you know, we really should reduce the amount of, of power that we have or we should have some checks and balances on this stuff. And, it, you know, it goes back to, you know, some of the examples he gave. Do we want the police, do we want uh, our federal officers to be able to just, and really just to do whatever they want? They don't then have to uh, look at your rights and some people say, well, it's just, you know, they're just doing that against terrorists. But that's not true. They're looking at everything and they don't have the right. We have the right to privacy. We have the right... Uh, to be secure in ourselves and our persons and our papers, you know, the uh, the government, we're not subject to illegal search and seizure. And that's some of the stuff that we're giving up with the Patriot Act. Uh, you know, there was a lot of fear-mongering. There still is a lot of fear-mongering of, you know, you better let us do this or you're not going to be safe. You better let us do this or everybody's going to die. You know, this has got to be pushed through. And we hear this stuff all the time when they want to push through something that, again, increases their power and decreases our rights. And, you know, kind of another thing is when they have that, you know, who are we letting decide who's a suspected terrorist? You know, um, it's the same thing with that terror watch list. You know, how do you get on it? How do you get off it? Why, why did you, quote unquote, qualify to be put on that thing in the first place? And we just heard the story of, you know, the ATF. We, we hear uh, there's screw-ups in the FBI all the time. Do we really want those people having carte blanche to just sort of do whatever? Uh, you know, they come up with all these asinine ideas. And if we go back and look, you know, further and things, uh, huge debacles that have happened, um, you know, we, we, we don't, again, we don't ever want to give up due process. So... That's kind of about as, as much as I'm going to talk on that. I'll go ahead and move on to some other stuff. Uh, let's see. Oh, I think I had said earlier in the show that we were going to talk a little bit about how all politics are local. And, you know, what I mean by that is a lot of times if we look at who becomes president, it's, it's a lot of times it's a governor uh, or it's somebody who's been in the, in the House or the Senate for a long time. Uh, so we have a lot of of control of who actually is going to get up to that position. It's very rare that somebody comes out of the blue and gets a governorship or gets a, a position that's higher up. It happens, uh, but it but it doesn't happen all the time. Usually, the people that are going up and going into those positions, most of them have been what's called, you know, career politicians. That's all they've ever done. Maybe they, they were a businessman for a few years or they worked here, but the vast majority of their life has been in, in politics. 
So again, you know, we need to to look at who we're putting into positions of power, who we're putting into positions of authority on our small local levels, because that guy that's your city councilman today may run for the your state house uh, the next day. The next day they may be running for governor or senate, you know, and then coming back and going to governor. Then maybe they're going to go for president. So what we don't want to do is put in people who are marginal, put in people who think it's okay to ignore the Constitution, uh, to ignore the individual rights uh, of us as American citizens. Now, I had a couple of articles that I wanted to read and uh, for you guys. And before we jump into that, uh, you're going to hear some, probably some papers rattling as they get this stuff going. But before we jump into that, you know, a lot of times in the gun culture we talk about uh, situational awareness and being aware of what's going on around you. You know, when you when you go out into that dark parking lot at night, do you have a flashlight with you so you can sweep the area? Um, are you just you know paying attention? Are you looking around? Do you have your head buried uh, in the newspaper? You know, when you're on a bus or a train, uh, when you're driving, you know, are you just on autopilot, not paying attention to anything, or are you actually looking around and looking and seeing? trying to look up ahead uh, enough to where if you're going to see a car that's going to pull out. Um, you know, that's an exercise, an easy exercise that you can do to kind of start getting yourself a little bit more attuned to your environment. Um, and, and the way that I do it, I don't look for when I'm approaching uh, intersections or when I'm driving down the road and, and you know, you've got uh, the roads of the outlets that are going to come onto the main road, I'm always looking, scanning up ahead and I'm not looking really even for a, for a car. All I'm looking for and, and thinking in my head is I'm just looking for movement. Uh, so that if I see a person, um, if I see a kid on a bike, if, if I see movement, then I key in on that. So I, I'm not telling my brain, oh, just look for a car. If you do that long enough, you're not going to see the guy in a motorcycle. You're not going to see the kid in a car. You're not going to see the you know the big Coca-Cola truck that's pulling out because you're, you're, you've programmed your brain to kind of ignore everything else ignore those other signals but if you're if you're saying in your head i need to look for movement uh if when you're looking at um then if anything comes out and you see some movement you can do that and you can and if you're looking for movement into your lane uh, especially you know uh when you're coming home after work and things and there's a lot of traffic there's been tons of times when i've I've just been looking for that movement and just kind of trying to keep everything, you know, in, in a more of a big picture thing and not worrying and getting hung up on the details. And you can see, you can see that car start to edge over. And you know, and it almost seems like it's a sixth sense thing, but you know what it is is, well, that guy's going to come over. And, you know, if he comes over now, he's going to hit me. So you slow down a little bit. So anyway... Most of you guys are very familiar with situational awareness, but it also extends to other things other than just your own physical safety and your own physical surroundings. It goes to being aware of what's going on locally in your area. Uh, you're not, here in Arizona, where I am, I'm not likely to be locked into my home and can't go out of my home uh, because my dad in Oklahoma is snowed in. Um, now, I talked to my uh, dad not too long ago, and he was saying that they had basically had been housebound for a while. And a lot of people were like that. And then it wasn't too long ago 
that, and this was again in Oklahoma, they had that huge ice storm that came through. And uh, power lines were down, you know, the roads were so iced up that the big, they weren't getting the plows out and stuff. And when they did, they were just doing the major roads. So there were still lots of people that their neighborhood roads weren't cleared off. So they couldn't get out even. And, uh, uh, you know, if you needed to go to the doctor or anything, there may be only one hospital that's open or accessible. Uh, most of your um, of, of your uh, GPs, your your uh, your doctors that you know that you go to when you're feeling sick and stuff, they're not going to be there um, in this in this latest event. That's what happened. It was hard to find a doctor. It was hard to you know the the food and everything off the shelves basically disappeared quickly. So again, <clears throat> being aware of what can happen weather wise, what can happen um, f when when a, a local little disaster happens. Uh, it could be that maybe your block is going to be without power for maybe it's only going to be five or six hours. Maybe it's going to be five or six days. Maybe it's going to be two or three weeks, um, especially if you live a little bit more on outlying areas. When the city goes to uh, reinstitute power, they're going to try and get power to the most people as quick as possible, meaning they're going to go to the most densely populated areas in the city, and then they're going to work out. So... But one thing that you can do uh, f for kind of that local situational awareness again is you can look at the little uh, sort of like the free papers. We get a, a little free paper that's thrown up on our uh, driveway every few days. And a lot of times they have little small stories that isn't going to make your, your local newscast or isn't going to make your local paper. Uh, let's say the bigger paper, um, just because it's it's not that big a deal. But there's space for it in these smaller ones. And uh, so I wanted to read a couple of articles that I got out of basically our little thing. And some of it will tie into situational awareness, but basic, uh, but mostly it's going to tie into how uh, getting those people in at a local level early on, and as they rise. And go in, especially if they stay in power, as they as they uh, in politics, excuse me, not power, but as they stay in politics and gain more influence and gain more power, you want to have those people in there that have some good core fundamental beliefs, and those beliefs, not only they, they don't need to just focus just small in on on where we're concerned, which is gun rights, but in the bigger picture, you want to get somebody in there again, who understands that we are. Uh, we're sovereign individuals and we have individual rights. Uh, so, as we were talking about earlier, um, about how, you know, one, one day the guy is uh, the corporation commissioner, the next day he's, he's running for the Senate. So, I wanted to go ahead and read this uh, to you guys. It says, East Valley resident and former legislator Chuck Gray announced on Thursday that he will run for the 6th Congressional District seat currently held by U.S. Representative Jake Flake. Republican of Arizona. Gray, a Republican, represented the East Valley in both the House and Senate of the Arizona Legislature. Before that, he served 10 years as a police officer for the city of Mesa. He has a record of supporting fiscal responsibility and free market economic policies, his release said. Gray is a native of Arizona. He and his family currently live in Queen Creek. After U.S. Senator John Kyle, Republican of Arizona, announced he won't run again, Flake, Again, who's a current U.S. representative, 
um, announced that he, uh, uh, that he declared his intention to run for that seat, so for Kyle's seat, leaving his own congressional post as well as the Senate seat up for grabs. So, uh, you know, we're going to see uh, what I think is probably going to happen, and this, this eventually will make a little bit bigger news, but uh, at least you sort of know now by looking and seeing this little blurb, you can start to, if you didn't know anything about Gray or if you didn't know anything about Flake, which you should, but if you didn't know much about them, is now is your time to do some research and get some things down. And, and, and actually, you can, maybe before things uh, get going too far, maybe you can set up a meeting with them, especially if they're in your district. You know, or you can, you can contact the guy and say, hey, I just had some questions about this or that. Um, also, let's talk about a couple of things. And this will kind of go combine both with, with firearms and with that local politics and getting people in there who are good. Uh, and uh, this is written by a guy, Howard Fisher, and the next article that I'm going to read to you is also uh, also by him. And this guy is not exactly a, a pro-gun guy, um, but here in Arizona, uh, even though we have a lot of, of really good people uh, in our in our government that are are pro-gun and uh, fight for that we also have a lot of people that are the are the, the opposite now right now we have we seem to have the majority uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read about this and then this is also going to mention uh, toward the end of the article uh, Senate bill uh, 1201 which we'll, we'll cover a little bit later uh, let's see governor let's see the the um, bop, 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 bop. let's see uh, Brewer this is the title Brewer defends Arizona firearm sales at gun shows and this this is from uh, a couple of weeks ago. Governor Jan Brewer is defending Arizona laws which allow the sale of firearms at gun shows without a background check and forbid cities from imposing such requirements. Quote, we believe our laws are fair and just in the state of Arizona, the governor said Monday. Her comments come on the heels of New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, boo, uh, releasing videos Monday taken by undercover agents at a Phoenix gun show 15 days after the Tucson shooting. So eh, you see a uh, uh, don't let any any crisis go to waste. What a scumbag that guy is. Um, there, Arizona private investigators hired by New York City were able to purchase weapons not only without background check at least twice after admitting to sellers they probably would not pass. Brewer said she had not seen the videos, nor had she seen Bloomberg's comments. But the governor said the laws are something that the legislature and I decide. Last year, Brewer signed legislation making Arizona only the third state in the nation to let anyone carry a concealed weapon without a state permit, training, and a background check. But Brewer said Monday she remains open to further liberalizing the state's gun laws. Quote, I am a strong proponent of the Second Amendment. End quote. One of the measures uh, awaiting debate this session, Senate Bill 1201, would further expand where individuals can carry guns to include public buildings unless there were metal detectors and lockers for owners to secure their weapons. Brewer said she hasn't studied that measure and would have to see the final version before deciding whether to sign it. We're strong people in Arizona, she said. We believe in the Constitution and we certainly support the Second Amendment. Now, the reason... There's a bunch of stuff kind of going on in there, but uh, when we talk about you know getting somebody in there who is going to support uh, what's right, is 
Brewer was, we had Napolitano, who's now the uh, head of Homeland Security, and uh, well, she was a Democrat, uh, that's Janet Napolitano, um, was, no, was not a friend to furthering individual rights and liberties, was not a friend to gun owners, uh, had vetoed several things. Uh, but if we look at Brewer's record, we see that she's always supported the Second Amendment. She's um, uh, pushed forward. Now, there are things that she has that I don't agree with and positions that she takes that I don't agree with. But in general and overall, I think that that she is more pro-rights than anti. Then she's, she's more less regulation than more regulation. Now, she had been, when Napolitano left, she was at the time the Secretary of State. Um, this is Brewer was the Secretary of State and uh, Napolitano was the governor. When she left to go work in Washington, uh, in Arizona we don't have a lieutenant governor. So the Secretary of State then steps up. And I kind of like that because usually if you have a governor, lieutenant governor, they're going to be the same party. If And this is where it worked out good for us. We had a Democrat governor. We had a Republican um Secretary of State. So when Napolitano left, uh, then we were able to to make a lot of, of uh, good strides. Uh, now, in in talking a little bit about some of the things in this article, we already have preemption in the state. Um, when they're talking about that, that uh, he said something like it forbids cities from imposing such requirements. Well, the cities can't re- just arbitrarily repose. Uh, impose those requirements because the state law supersedes that here in Arizona. Um, they also talk about uh, that they, you know, these guys are saying, well, I probably wouldn't pass, but if these guys, a lot of times what happens is, and these guys remember were Arizona private eyes that were coming in there. So they would have had Arizona state identification. And for a private sale, um, you you there you don't have to do a background check if you're a dealer in Arizona, you have to do the background check, um, and it's it's not that at a gun show is the only place that you can conduct a private sale. You can meet somebody in the parking lot at Denny's, or you can have them come to your house, or you can go to their house and sell them the gun. We'll do whatever you want. Uh, most people nowadays, though, uh, if you're if you're smart about it. And again, if, if I was, let's say if I was going to sell my gun privately, number one, I probably would, would want that person to have a uh, concealed carry permit because then I know that they're not a felon, uh, to the, and this is, again, that's not to say that they didn't go out and commit a crime right before that, like they didn't, you know, smoke some weed or whatever. Uh, but as long as they have a valid permit that they could show me, then I've kind of done my due diligence in making sure that that person, number one, is an Arizona resident, and number two, is a law-abiding citizen. Um, And, you know, it's the same thing that they kind of, when they're talking about when we got constitutional carry, you know, they always use the the verbiage and things of, of, uh, you know, anybody can do it without doing this, without doing that. Well, not anybody can do it. You can't be a prohibited possessor. Uh, you have to be able to legally purchase a firearm to be able to um, to be able to carry concealed. Uh, so now I also wanted to read another one by uh, 
Howard Fisher, and this is talking about um, Senate Bill 1201. This is Bill Allowing Guns uh, in Buildings has to Senate. Now, this, this article, originally when I was going to do this, I got this article uh, from February 9th, so things may have changed a little bit since then. Uh, with little discussion, a Senate panel voted Monday not uh, to let individuals bring their guns into most public uh, buildings. So right off the bat, he's already saying with little discussion. Uh, so you know right off the bat where this guy lies. Uh, so Senate Bill 1201 would scrap the existing policy, policy which presumes that these buildings are off-limits to weapons once uh, the operators post a no-gun sign at the door. Instead, any government building that wanted to keep out guns would have to have armed security guards and screen all entrants with metal detectors. And cities and counties and government agencies would be powerless to overrule that. Well, yeah, because that would be then state law. Uh, John Wentling, vice president of the Arizona Citizens Defense League, yay, said that the existing laws against guns in public buildings are meaningless. He said they create, quote, gun-free zones. Quote, this doesn't protect you, he told members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. It's an honor system. It presumes, it, oh, it, excuse me, it presupposes that the bad guys, as well as the good guys, are going to check their weapons or be deterred by the sign. The 6-2 vote, which sends uh, the bill to the full Senate, is the latest in a series of measures liberalizing Arizona's gun laws. Um, let's see. I'm not going to read the whole article because it's, it's pretty long. Uh, but he goes on, uh, again, to uh, put enough truth in it to what he's talking about with constitutional carry. What he's saying actually is true, but he's, he's leaving them some things out. Um, and the thing he talks about, lawmakers have voted to permit guns where alcohol is served, though armed pro uh, patrons must promise not to drink. So at least he threw, he threw that in. Uh, but what he didn't throw in is if you're the owner of a bar or a restaurant that serves alcohol for consumption on the premises, if you don't want somebody there, you can put up a sign that says it has to be a certain sign, and it has to be in a, a conspicuous place by the entrance, and then it also has to be by their liquor license. Now... I'm going to kind of take a little bit of an aside here. I've talked to some businesses and some of the managers and, and some of the owners and gotten them to take down signs or I've gotten them to, um, they'll put up a thing sometimes that will say does not apply to valid uh, Arizona, uh, valid Arizona CCW permit. Now, a lot of times in a couple of restaurants that I talked to, and I, I didn't really give them the in, in talking to the one of the managers at one of the places. I said, well, you know, this sign really doesn't prevent anything. And he said, yeah, I know that, but we put it up. It makes some feel better. And this guy actually knew the law, but he said, but we don't have one posted by the liquor license. So he, and what he said was that if a person knows the if a person who knows the law comes in and sees our sign and then goes in and looks around and then sees that we don't have it up next to the liquor license, they know that legally they can be in here. Then, um, of course, this is dealing with a concealed weapon. You, you wouldn't be allowed to carry openly in a place that serves, well, as asinine as that is, that serves alcohol for consumption on the premises. Uh, so let's kind of get back to the article. So, but well, before we jump in with that, so, you know, some of the restaurants are kind of, having their cake and eating it too. Although, realistically, a lot of people, when they see that, if they are supporters of the Second Amendment and, and, and uh, carry a firearm, won't do business there. 
So, and I've, you know, explained that to some owners and they said, well, this is just kind of how we do it. Sometimes though, it's a corporate thing. Uh, there is one restaurant that we went to where uh, it was the same thing. They didn't want people in there with guns, but they had, they had posted a couple of signs out on the front. I walked in and looked around because the law says that you can do that, that you can go in, enter the premises and look. I looked at their liquor license and it was the, the um, signage that they needed wasn't there by the liquor license. So I was like, oh, hey, I can come in. Um, let's see. So let's get back to the article. Uh, pop, pop, pop. Let's see. Um... So they're talking about some of the measures. Many of these measures, like this one, have been sponsored by uh, Senate President Russell Pierce. The Mesa Republican said that all these bills simply are an expression of constitutional rights. This is a quote from Pierce. I'm not going to disarm Americans without a reason, he said. More to the point, Pierce argued that these measures actually make Arizona safer. When you really need help and seconds matter, police are only minutes away, he said. You have a right for self-protection. Pierce acknowledged that the measure, if it becomes law, will mean that cities and counties that want to keep weapons out of buildings will have to hire the guards and install the metal detectors. He said that is only right. Now, this is a good part. You need to pay attention here. He says, quote, If you want to take away my constitutional rights, then you ought to go to the trouble to ensure my safety, Pierce said. Don't put me in a building or someplace where I can't protect myself and put a no-gun sign on the door that is no protection at all. Pierce is living by his own philosophy. Uh, as president of the Senate, he issued rules that specifically allow senators to bring their weapons into the building despite its posting as a weapons-free zone. As for everyone else entering the building, Pierce labeled the Senate as a don't ask, don't tell zone, and he specifically vowed never to install metal detectors. Senate Christian Sinemia, I guess, S-I-N-E-M-A, Democrat of Phoenix, says she does believe there is a fundamental right of the people to be armed, one that should be curtailed only for legitimate public interest. So she believes you have a fundamental right, but then believes that a fundamental right can be curtailed. Uh, but she said she believes that keeping guns out of public buildings fits within that exception. So she believes that... Uh, Certain places, you, you again, you don't have the right. Uh, Senator Andy Biggs, Republican of Gilbert, says the uh, series of new laws liberalizing Arizona's gun regulation have corresponded with a dramatic decrease in violent crime. And we see that over and over again, uh, that when more and more people become armed, the actual violent crime rate, so the overall violent crime rate goes down. And you see that when uh, more gun control is instated, actual violent crime rates again this isn't going to encompassing things um, you know from shooting stabbings murders rapes you know all this other stuff it goes up it go and it goes up dramatically um let's see uh quote the bad guys have to be concerned that the good guy might have a gun the victim might have a gun big set nothing in the legislation uh, alters existing laws which currently keep individuals from carrying their weapons onto school or community college campuses. We're hoping to change that, actually. Uh, but there are measures awaiting legislative action to permit those uh, which state permits, I think they mean with state permits, which remain available to bring their uh, guns into both places. 
so that last little part, they're saying that when they talked about the constitutional carry, they're still saying that there is still permits and that they are available if you want to have them. Uh, and again, it's a good idea. And like I've mentioned on previous shows, I will always have a permit as long as they have them in Arizona because when I go to other states, there's a lot of states that have reciprocity with us, and so I can then carry there. Uh, getting back to a couple of things here, uh, again with that, uh, and I don't even know how she, cinema, I don't know how she says her name, but anyway, when we look at kind of her voting record and we look at some of the other voting records of, of the, some of the anti-people, you see that she's one that has consistently voted against uh, lots of things. So her words that uh, she believes that the Second Amendment is a fundamental right, they don't really ring too true. They're, they're pretty hollow. Now, one of the things that when they were talking about that uh, Pierce, as long as he was president of the Senate, would never have... Um, metal detectors installed there basically what he's saying is that if if uh at the time if 1201 passed and that there again if there, if if the uh the law is passed as it's written right now if there weren't metal detectors there then you would be allowed to come in because then the building would not be in compliance with the law so basically what he knows is that if if somebody is going to bring in a gun anyway and they're able to sneak it by or to get it in if there's no metal detectors or people aren't wanted so that you're not guaranteed that nobody can have one, uh, then all you're doing is, again, what they do on schools, what they do in uh, businesses that don't want guns, all you're doing is ensuring that the people who are willing to obey the law and who are not willing to commit acts of violence uh, to, to go up shooting up places those are the people that you're going to guarantee are going to be disarmed. And more importantly, the people that are going to come in there that are going to be armed are going to be people who don't want to obey the law and who are not going to have any hesitation uh, if they're so inclined uh, to shoot up the place. Uh, you know, a lot of times we talk about, when we talk about restaurants and things like that, and this is a little bit of an aside, one of the guys that I talked to uh, who was a manager of a restaurant and in fact, I eventually ended up talking to the owner as well. But they had both kind of made the points that they said, well, it's 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 highly unlikely that someone's going to come in and rob this place because it's just too crowded. And what I countered with, I said, well, yeah, you're probably right about that because there's going to be just too many factors to control. Now, that doesn't mean that it could never happen. Uh, but I said, what is probably more likely to have happen is that someone who is mad at one of your waitresses or one of your dishwashers or one of the uh, the waiters here or the hostess is going to come in and because they're angry at that person is going to shoot the place up. And, and all you've done, and they're not going to pay attention to the sign, they're just going to come in and do what you want. But by disarming the majority of law-abiding people, all you've done is made sure that that guy is not going to meet any type of resistance. Uh, let's see, what else did I want to talk about? Um... And again, this will kind of tie in with that thing of, of, of getting people in kind of on the ground level uh, who are going to support, uh, support individual rights and liberties. A lot of times people say, man, you guys in Arizona are so lucky. You guys are lucky to live in a state you know, where I live in California or where I live in Illinois. I have to have this card or I, have, I can't own these certain type of guns or blah, 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 blah. And the list goes on and on and on. But the reality is is we're not lucky 
the reality is is that we have voted people into office that support those views and a big reality is is that we have groups like the Arizona um, Pistol and Rifle Association we have uh, a, a big group uh, which is the Arizona Citizens Defense League, and I've I've uh, kind of shielded for these guys before. If you live in Arizona, you should be a member with these guys. Uh, I think it's something like thirty-five dollars a year, so it's basically the cost of you know maybe a couple of boxes of ammo. Um, you know, even even I think twenty-two ammo now is probably around eighteen to twenty dollars. So if you were going to buy two boxes of twenty-two long rifle, that could pay for your your one-year membership. Uh, they do a lot. They have a lot of influence. And, and one of the reasons that they have a lot of influence is because the people that are members, when these guys send out an email and say, hey, contact these people, we do it. Uh, we send them emails. We, we telephone them. We send them handwritten letters. Um, and like I said in, in previous shows, when a lot of times when I contact these guys, I reference their previous voting record. I say, I know you voted this way on this, and I hope you vote this way on that. So what that tells them is at least that when they're looking at that thing from me, and I know that they do. I know that some of them actually read the whole email. They don't just look at the subject line. Because I've gotten individual responses back from these guys referencing things that I've said. So I know that a lot of these guys, when they read that whole thing, they understand... I know what their voting record is. I'm not just doing anything. Uh, I'm not just, you know, kind of a knee-jerk uh, reaction to something uh, because it's topical. And, and believe me, that has weight with these guys because what it tells them is, hey, I'm looking at you and I'm, I'm paying attention to how you vote. And if you vote for restrictions of individual rights and individual liberties, you're out of there. Um, and it's, it's a very subtle way to say that without actually coming out and saying it. Uh, but again... You know, the, the, the best luck you can ever have is the luck that you make. Uh, so in one regard, you could say that we were that when Napolitano left, we were lucky to have Brewer in that position. But again, it comes from the fact that we, you know, that, that she had run for those positions, had a good voting record. And, uh, and now we've got a real friend in position of power, in a position. Uh, and, and she's not a... A, a, of course, a weak-willed person. A lot of these guys in politics aren't. A lot of times we like to say how these people are dumb or how they just don't understand. But most of them, when you get up in the higher levels, they're pretty sharp. Um, and most of them understand that they need to, especially now when people are becoming more involved because money's involved, they, need, they understand that they need to do kind of what the majority of the people are telling them to or they're going to be gone the next time. So uh, let's see. Other than that, I think that's going to kind of wrap it up for today. I went a little bit longer than I usually did. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed the show. hope you guys got something out of it. And if you'd like to comment uh, or uh, if you've got some stories you'd like to tell, uh, things how things are different in your state or, or some ways that you guys have gotten involved, Go ahead, write in, uh, let me know. And again, if you want to write in or call in, uh, if you want to write in, it's uh, firearmscafe at gmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. Or if you want to call in on the voicemail, 206-339-3266. All right, guys, take care. I'll talk to you next time.
first it all seemed like such harmless fun. It was hip to go along with the gang. But where's the gang now? Why aren't they with him when he needs them most? Too late, he realizes that by joining to belong, he's more alone than ever. This is the one trip he must take all alone. Superhuman strength. Oh, teeny, 